Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome, friends. Welcome to Shift Drink on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Lion Hotel in Adams, Oregon, Washington, D.C. I'm Matthew Ramsey, Wiley Coyote, cheeseburger life coach, and ice cream pirate. I'm Eddie Kim, proud DCist, also proud scooterless commuter. And <laughs> Eddie, Eddie is just jealous that he's the only one in here without a helmet. There are multiple helmets in the studio right now. Um, only one of them has a weird shark face on it, but... Um, and Eduardo Tonico, my new nickname, at least for tonight. Uh, every week, we share a shift drink and swap war stories from behind the line with chefs, bartenders, bakers, and brewers, and pretty much anyone who touches our all-encompassing industry. This week, we are joined by Josh Phillips, mas- Master Mescalier. Mescalier? Did I pronounce that? Mescalier? It, it, I don't know. What is the official designation? Uh, technically, Mescalier. Okay, Mescalier. Not so French. <laughs> and um, co-proprietor of uh, Espita, which is located uh, Espita Mescaleria, mm-hmm. which is located in Shaw. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome, welcome. Um, so I was pretty excited about this one because <laughs> usually Eddie and I are in charge of procuring beverages, and. I kind of just threw, I was like, ah, I think he's going to have some really awesome stuff. <laughs> like maybe he can like just bring in what he likes to drink for his shift drink. Um, and then you came in with plastic bottles, which is always a good sign. Um, and like, like, yeah, unlabeled, like reused glass bottles. Like again, another good sign. <laughs> if it doesn't have handwriting, it's not real. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we've already, honestly, we've already started because you were, you were very early. This is the earliest <laughs> Eddie and I have ever been in the studio and it's, it's very welcome. Um, but what are we sipping on out of the gate here? Uh, so the first one is a mezcal from Mezcal Netta. It's this guy, Max, in Oaxaca City, who sources from mainly Miwetlan. Um, so this one's an ensemble of Madre Cuiche, B Cuiche, and Esperin. It's pretty tasty. Yeah, it's really wild. And you, and you were saying, like, and this is, I, I thought it was kind of, uh, I'd never heard this before, but, like, even just letting them breathe a half hour, half hour like prior to drinking kind of takes some of the... Yeah, generally speaking, every time we get a bottle at the restaurant that's particularly hot, um, you know, especially if it's a producer you know and love, you just open that thing up, let it sit for a bit. Um, they tend to mellow out. They tend to get a little sweeter, a little fruitier. Uh, this one's pretty much no different at this point. It was really dusty this morning. Yeah, no, it's it's really vibrant. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, as a bartender, I still get asked from guests, what is mezcal? Smoky tequila. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Exactly. So that's that's literally the two-liner that you gave, the two-word you gave me. God, it's, I hate that. Um, but it's not. No. Like, then what's, what, give me, how about a 15-second explanation? 10 seconds. The elevator pitch. Elevator pitch. Mezcal is any agave spirit from the country of Mexico, and tequila is a style of mezcal, not the other way around. Boom. That's, that's true. Um, I also wanted to ask, so you brought the plastic bottles, and I know it's kind of become part of the folklore legend of like serving mezcal, and, and, and <laughs> when you go to a mezcal bar, it's like, where's your glass bottle? Where's your plastic bottle? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it now expected um, to have had weird plastic bottle in the corner? Yeah, I kind of think so. Yeah. Uh, pretty much every mezcal bar I've been to, maybe just the fact that everybody knows who I am when I walk into a mezcal bar. Um, everybody likes to show off and share. Right. You know, right, so right. it's like when you guys come into the bar, I'm sure the team breaks out, you know, the stuff that's not necessarily behind the bar or on the shelves. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know to ask, there's always something. Well, and I think that's <laughs> some of the fun of the mezcal world, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I think what else is cool about it is uh, people who say they have a favorite mezcal. You know, mezcal is so seasonal. 
Right. You know, like even in a like particular line, like say you love Recompera Madriquiche. You know, if you get it from the spring, it's going to taste like sweet and floral and beautiful. And you get it in the fall and it's going to be dusty and earthy. And they're both the same label. Right. You know, huh, if, interesting. If, I actually did not know that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all about the fermentation. So when the, like what kind of yeast is in the air? So, I mean, we had, we had John Bonet on last week and it, actually his shift drink was, was mezcal as well. Um, <laughs> but you know, he was, he was comparing, I mean, and it's something you often hear, uh, and I'm, I'm guessing this is kind of what you're expert in is like terroir, which is something you, you don't really get to experience in, in many other liquors. Yeah. So that's actually why I brought in three mezcals from the same region. Um, just because you start to see similarities and like patterns and behaviors from different mescaleros, either from like styles of production or just the types of varietals that grow regionally, right? Um, the type of water, you know, a lot of them share water supplies, stuff like that. Like if you get like anything from Acalino from Mescalvago mm-hmm. and uh, anything from Recompero, you know, they're literally across the stream from each other, right? So they have the same exact water supply. They share fields of agave. Ah, interesting. You know, so if you get something that's like similar time of year, same agave from both of them, you can actually start to see like what impact the terroir has and then what impact the maker has. Yeah. Which is kind of neat. Yeah, very much so. So. I, I know at work, uh, we're, we're about to, to break into uh, the summer of Riesling, which is always like a, an exciting thing. There's literally a Riesling tasting above our heads on the second floor of the hotel. Yeah, Weinbo is doing a thing right now. <laughs> Um, but we're it, they're doing some kind of nerdy things where it's it's the same vinification process, mm-hmm. it's um, you know same grapes like everything is the same except the uh, the foudre that they're being like fermented in yeah. or aged in. That's cool. Um, and they taste different. Yeah, it's it's so wild. Yeah. Um, but let's, before we dig too far into it, let's we have a little uh, weekend review. Yeah, let's talk about what's on our minds these days. I think first and foremost. Um, Burger King is, uh, <laughs> they're doing a Strangers thing, um, appreciation special, uh, and they've literally just flipped the Whopper upside down. <laughs> I, oh, I, is that it? That's it. That's it? I respect that. That's it's not an so impossible Whopper? So yeah. It's, it's literally me holding the bag upside down. Yeah. Great. And then... It's it's, it's the upside down Whopper. Um, Can I say, I've never... I have not seen the new season of Stranger Things. I watched the first season. It's not, it's no longer new. I yeah. didn't even finish the first season. I have not watched the last episode. We I, all know you have horrible taste in TV, I though. I hate that show. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that said, also, Stranger Things has brought back New Coke, which is something that fine. nobody... New Coke. They're, they're like it. sneaker collaborations. Uh, fine, whatever. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead, bring back everything from the 80s. To be fair, New Coke was never actually good, so the fact that they're bringing back is says... Nothing. Crystal Pepsi was good. Crystal no. Pepsi was, yeah. <laughs> I still miss Coke Black. That was my, like, I'm bummed that I ever left. Okay. I never even saw that. Um, award season is on us. Uh, Jose Andres is going to be awarded the Julia Child Foundation Award at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. So there'll be quite a number of... Do you think Jose has a room now that he just puts all his awards? <laughs> like, the man has racked up everything. He's been at the Oscars. He's got a humanitarian awards. He's got a Nobel Peace Prize on the line here. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if he gets that medal. Yeah, he'll just probably melt him down and turn him into some kind of vessel for his other weird foods. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is coming from two people that don't have a trophy closet. I got Taekwondo awards in my room. Tennis awards. Tennis awards. What what, what awards do you have? What did you do in high school? Judo participation. <laughs> Josh, do you, do you have any, uh, yeah. any, any awards? Are you, are you known for... Uh... Closest thing to an award I got in high school was the, uh, the Joe Biden pat on the back at the end of the football game. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I grew up uh, maybe a quarter mile from his house. <coughs> so that's Interesting. it. Mm-hmm. And you haven't washed since? Never. Um, I got one from Mandy Moore, a pat on the back, and okay. I've never washed that shoulder since. Well, then. It shows. <laughs> Um, Smorgasburg hit DC uh, this last Saturday. Um, it's it's everybody. There's 35 vendors. Um, there's there's half smokes. There's dumplings. There's everything. Now, has anyone been up to the Brooklyn one? Again, this is another thing that I haven't done. No, no. but apparently they're in Japan now. They're in LA. It's uh, it's an outdoor market with with food stalls, and it's uh, sweeping the district. Kevin Tian, Milk Colt, Timber Pizza. 
all the things. Um, shout out to Sophia for putting that together. Um, lastly, I just wanted to point out to two articles written this week in the Washingtonian and the City paper about what has been happening on 14th Street here in D.C. Oh, yeah, really Rising rents, uh, restaurant prices have gone up, basically forcing out a lot of the original local yeah. restaurants, and now we're seeing a glut of outsiders coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, you're a restaurant owner, not on 14th Street, yep. but on 9th Street. Mm-hmm. Are you afraid? Yes. Flat out. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have actually a lot of thoughts on this whole topic. <laughs> yeah, mind. please. Um, so DC, I think, has a structural problem in its restaurant industry. Um, there's not enough density to support these kinds of rents. You know, so every neighborhood is both overserved and underserved. Sure. You know, like we have staffing problems. We have good restaurants with empty dining rooms. You know, and like places that are getting rave reviews, and you can get a table on a Tuesday. You know, if you're in New York or if you're in Philly or you're in anywhere else like that, right? They have more density. Okay, so DC has this whole height restriction, and that kind of prevents the city from like kind of balancing. So you've got all these two-story buildings, three-story buildings, where the rent from the restaurants is actually like a huge portion of the revenues of the building. Oh yeah, and so that kind of like forces them to have these high rents. So you're saying unstop the pop? Yeah. Is that is that is that the official slogan? So it's a, it's a federal <laughs> law, right? Yeah. So this is when I started to become really like pro-statehood. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, this year alone, we've we've seen a lot of progress with that. If anything mm-hmm. will come out of it, we'll, who knows? But um, yeah. yeah, I think that could be a game changer for us. Yeah, imagine if like take Shaw. If there's like eight thousand more residents in Shaw, you know, <laughs> that would be amazing. I mean, I I get. I'm, I'm going to take the unpopular view. Like I get it. Like I would love to see DC turn into, let's say, a little mini. I love Tokyo, and so you go into Tokyo and you see like the eight, nine, twelve-story buildings, and there are mm-hmm. little hidden venues within all of them. And if we could have that kind of culture here, amazing. Mm-hmm. But the quaintness of of having a, a lower skyline in DC is does make our city very beautiful. And yeah, the, uh, yeah and, so. and like yeah, and like fine, <laughs> we can have an influx of people trying to like yeah. Let's say let's say we we relieve the restriction, and we have a huge influx mm-hmm. of people. Like, what's going to happen? To the well, city. I think the people that live here already, I think if you look at D.C. eight years ago, you know, when rents were significantly lower for a lot of the neighborhoods downtown, um, you had people that could actually afford to not only just live here, but also spend here. Mm-hmm. And so right now you're seeing people like Shaw, like a one-bedroom apartment in Shaw is like $2,700. You know, that's that's a lot of money for, yeah. you know, a 26-year-old to come to town and, you know, that's it. They're doing like roommates in one-bedrooms. Yeah. Well, yeah, anybody that's yeah. ever rented in D.C. or is owned or anything it's i mean housing is exorbitant yeah so and i have no answers when it comes to that and sure I'm like i'm hoping that the bubble eventually hopefully bursts mm-hmm. rents will come down and hopefully we can see some of the original res- residents come back into the city but just because we have <laughs> higher buildings doesn't mean the affordable income apartments which is just a title and it's kind of bullshit yeah i mean you'd have to yeah. legislate that to make exactly. sure that yeah i mean yeah. it couldn't just be like lift the restrictions and let developers go wild that'd be nuts <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look at like New York and Philly. Every neighborhood has like a really good mix of demographics, both you know racial, eth- ethnicity, religion, you know incomes, and because of that you get all these you know retail shops that cater to everybody, not necessarily like neighborhoods that cater to high end dining or neighborhoods. Right. That can't well, and what we're seeing on Fourteenth Street now is just bougie. Yeah, it's all high end bougie <laughs> and oh, just give me it's one. It's so good, far away from what it was. One good bodega, and I'd be happy. We do. I was just telling Elizabeth the other day, actually. Like, we need a bodega near us. Yeah, it'd be so nice. Um, well, let's. I'm actually. <laughs> can we can we dip into the next uh, the next mezcal? Yeah. Which way do you want to go? I've got a uh, tapastate, which is really beautiful in this guy, and then I've got possibly the best espadine I've ever had. Oh. So we have one that's in a glass bottle and one that's literally in a water bottle. Yes. Let's yeah. let's start with the best because then my. <laughs> Also, I, have, I just have no restraint. I just want to. I just want to go. There. He wants. I. I've got a pop up later tonight, so I'm going to restrain myself a little bit. But um, Matthew, go for it, please. All right. So this guy here, this Espadín, <laughs> this was actually reserved for Noma, Mexico. Ah, okay. Um, but I talked Max out of giving him the whole batch, so I have a couple. Amazing. <laughs> Josh has a little bit of an entourage on the couch right behind him too. Would you, Would you like to partake in any of this, Kelly? You want to speak up? Yeah. You're just as important to the show. Um, now we were, we were talking a little bit off the show about um, 
basically your your your, your mezcal ware. Mm-hmm. You guys made these copitas for the restaurant. Yeah. What so, was that? What was that process, and how did you guys arrive at what we're drinking out of? So, I mean, you guys are spirits nerds. Holy cow! You know that's crazy, right? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, in any high-end establishment, if you're talking about like a really high-end wine program, you've got to have the appropriate glassware, right? People will say the glassware does not impact the quality and flavor of your booze. You know, just haven't had good enough booze to right. figure that <laughs> out, you know? So, if you look at like commercially available Mezcal cups, yeah. you know, you're pretty much stuck with when we opened, there was essentially Veladoras, yeah. which are wonderful, um, and then the uh, Del Maguey, uh clay cups. Well, what are veladoras? Veladoras are the little candle holders. Mm. Um, the old story was you'd go, you'd pray, you know, you'd light your candle and then steal the candle holder and then go right to the mescaleria. Yeah. <laughs> I've been telling that story quite a bit. Is it yeah. apocryphal? Is it total bullshit? Or? No, no, that's true. It's true? Okay, yeah. good, good. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, so we, we found, we tried like every possible little weird cup. We looked at like, you know, little condiment cups. We looked at salt cups. We, like any teeny little sure, two-ounce cup we could find. Yeah. And none of them felt right. None of them have the right shape. None of them have the right like feel to it. Um, then we found a lady out in Colorado named Sarah. Sarah, what's her last name? Welch. Sarah Welch. You can find her on Etsy. Um, Sarah's great. So she went through probably a five, six, eight, ten different versions of this. Um, after we found the shape we liked, we dialed in the color we liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went with the black or gray because of the black clay you find in Oaxaca. Um, and then she stamped our logo in there. And you can't even tell there's a logo in the bottom until you see it in daylight. Right. So the whole thought process behind that was people are going to steal these things. Yeah. So when they get home and they drink their mezcal the next day, cool, they're going to know it's from Espita. Well, so I was (laughs) going to ask them, like, you you made these knowing that people are going to kind of take these home and, like, yeah. I hope they don't. They're, they take forever to get. Right. Which is the other side of it, right? Because you're like, Mm -hmm. ah, they're expensive. These Mm -hmm. are handmade. But also... It's inevitable. Yeah, it happens. I mean, that's the beauty of having someone make custom glassware or ceramic wear for you. There's a huge boom for ceramicists, and I hope we, I hope to get one on our show soon because I yeah. know DC has a number of really great ceramicists. Yeah. Where, um, what up, Cloud Tear? Yeah, we use Cloud Tear too. They're great. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Amber's Amber's really good at what she yeah. does. Um. Cool. Well, let, let's uh, let's play a little game we like to call Two Truths, One Lie. <laughs> One lie. All right. Thrill us. Thrill you with my two truths and one lie. Okay. Let's see. First off, I was 12 years old, learned how to drive in the jungles of Mexico with a chop top beetle to learn how to drive stick. Second, this is actually pretty exciting. I just got my importer's license. Oh, okay. So I'm really excited about that. If that is true, that is very exciting. And third, I met my wife on Craigslist. Wow, wow! Kelly is is laughing on the couch back there. So I don't know if that, I don't know what that indicates. Um, <laughs> and what kind of used car were you looking for? <laughs> it was a 1972 chop top beetle okay. stick shift with a hole in the floor. I, I know that there's a lot of beetles in Oaxaca. That's like they're everywhere. Oh, this was in Tulum before it's Tulum was Tulum. Thing. Okay. You gonna try to bring DC to Tulum? You gonna be the first one to do that? I kind of want to, honestly. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, we've, we've spent some time in Tulum recently. Um, I think we could hang with the crowd down there. Interesting. It's if fair. anyone's wondering, there's, a, there's an article that came out maybe three or four months ago about <laughs> mm-hmm. the influx of New Yorkers in Tulum and everyone yeah. opening it's, I mean, up it's, something. It's Brooklyn in the yeah. jungle. Right. The problem in Tulum right now is the, it's like an environmental crisis. There's no sewage there. Right. So where does that sewage go? Right. Oh, so you're going to open up a sewage business there. Bingo. Great. There we go. <laughs> Genius. That's the ticket. Yeah. So what do you think? Um, Craigslist, <laughs> importer, or chop top? You're looking at me, Francis. I have nothing. Okay. Um, uh, oh, God. I'm going to say these the, things are true. The importer's license. How about that? Yeah. No, 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 no. no. That's Craig, the boring Craigslist. one, though. Craigslist. You're saying Craigslist is true or false? It's false. That's uh, yeah. I'll go. I'll, I'll go with false on that one. Yeah. Okay. So I met my wife on Craigslist. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my fault. Wrong. You can get anything on Craigslist, including a wife and happiness <laughs> and love. Uh, 
Um, that's amazing. Yeah. How, did that, how, did, that how did that happen? Um, I decided that I was going to um, stop dating women I met in bars in Philly. So I posted an incredibly detailed ad on Craigslist. Wow. This is Philly Craigslist. Philly Craigslist. Have oh. You, have you yeah, posted? Yeah. Is this like, do you guys have this printed and like <laughs> framed on your wall? Uh, we had our correspondence on our wedding napkins, actually. That's really cool. Yeah. So over maybe two and a half months, I went on dates with like 42 women. It was like pre-tender craziness. I think I've seen this documentary. Yeah. So Kelly was number 42. <laughs> so 42 is my favorite number. Um, amazing. Yeah. And... I mean, Kelly's on the couch, so there's not a microphone. But <laughs> yeah, Kelly, what grabbed you about this, uh, this, this Craigslist posting? Good question. What was his nickname? Was it no, Mezcal Boy Forty Two? He said he liked to cook. His apartment was was clean. Like to cook, clean apartment. And he was Check. Tall. He was six foot seven. Check. You're so six seven. He's very tall. Yeah, man. Hey Matthew, how, how tall oh, are you? God, I knew you were going to bring this up. That's why I have the bigger scooter. <laughs> Matthew, you just went to the doctor's so, office. This has like been a point of contention my whole life because I actually haven't checked my height in maybe twenty years. But last time I checked, That's I was denial. I was five eleven and three quarters. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to the doctor recently, and that is no longer the case. I am five eleven and a half, and for our entire friendship, you have said that you are taller than me. Yeah, because. And it doesn't make I, any I, sense. I I'm 5'10". And it's a real, I, I, there's not a day that goes by since this doctor appointment that I haven't openly complained about it. It's my whole world perspective has shifted. By an inch and a half. Now, Alexia informed us that we don't have sound effects today, but she's going to do some homegrown sound effects. Alexia, do you have anything for me? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And also just an wrong. That's a shrinking sound effect. Yeah. Ugh, I got shrinkage, guys. It makes you feel better. I used to be six foot eight. That does make you feel better, but there you're you still a giant, yeah. and I'm only 5'10". <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, but moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so wife on Craigslist. Yes. What, what was the lie? Yeah. Hmm? What was the lie? What was the lie? I do not have an importer's, importer's license. license. Right. Because yeah, yeah, we were yeah. talking about this earlier. That was my gut <laughs> reaction. You don't need an importer's license. Nope. DC has very lax, well, I'm not going to say lax, very free laws to import your own products. Well. Yeah. It's, it was like the yeah. the private collector loophole, mm-hmm. which is pretty nice. Um, so I mean, this is I, I, I was looking into you mm-hmm. creepily. Um, this is one of the reasons that kind of brought you down to DC, right? You're you're a yeah. homegrown Philly boy. Yeah, this is the whole reason I came to DC. Um, Philly is a uh, st- it's a commonwealth, so it's a state control system. So if you wanted to buy booze from the store, you had to literally. When I was a bartender in Philly, we had to go to the liquor store to pick up our liquor order. You know, it didn't even get delivered. So that is, yeah. I mean, you, you see that in Maryland, you see that in Virginia. Virginia, well. I'm dealing with that right now in Virginia. It's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you wanted a bottle, you had to, you know, either get like a special liquor order, which could take months, you know, for something as specialized as mezcal. Back when we were talking about doing Espita, it was maybe they might have had three different mezcals on the list. It was like Sombra, I think they had Dalmega Vida, and the uh, Illegal Hoven. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. So for like our whole ethos at Espita is like. I know every Mescalero's family that's on our wall, you know? So that ain't happening with those three bottles. Right. You know, they, you're not even likely to know which family made necessarily those bottles. Which sucks. So. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean that's, it's, it's really interesting that I think on this side of things that, like, has encouraged your, your Espitas, your, you know, mm-hmm. your, your domestic wines, your, your tailed goat. Yeah. wine if, programs that are you know being well, recognized speak. nationally that's like it's, it's allowed for a, a real, like a system that like, mm-hmm. like a beverage program to really thrive yeah. I mean, if Philly did not have those laws would this be to be in Philly probably yeah probably I mean Philly's home Kelly grew up in Philly she was born in Fishtown um, I lived in Philly for over a decade um, it's very much home that's where I kind of got my hospitality chops um, so. But you guys have been down here for what five years now? Yeah, about five years. Uh, have you guys? Is this is DC? DC's home. Yeah, DC's very much home. So I don't know. It's it's kind of cool. Like DC versus Philly. Philly's like this very like established culinary scene. DC's kind of like this wild west. There's still like all, all this creative energy everywhere, and it's it's really exciting to be in DC versus Philly. Philly is very much like there's institutional giants in Philly at this point. 
you yeah. know like there's the steven stars of the world there's the yeah you know the garces before he went bankrupt there's there's the hobbs and all those guys yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. michael's great i'm really interested and maybe we, maybe we step out for a second and come back but i want to talk corn because that's that's, cool. that's a huge part of what you guys do yeah um so this is Shift Drink. I'm Matthew Ramsey. <laughs> we'll take a short break. Eddie Kim. And we have Josh Phillips. We'll be back. We'll be back. The track you're listening to during the break is by artist Keto. That's K-I-E-D-O. For more information, visit fullserviceradio.org, and we'll be right back. to shift drink full service radio <laughs> we're here with josh phillips owner co-owner and general manager of mm-hmm. espita mescaleria in shaw neighborhood. and we're drinking all of his beautiful things yes we are about to do number three yeah i think we're about to move on oh to look at three. you going from i'm not gonna drink to <laughs> well i'm allowed to taste my cup's empty all right let's yeah now we're about to do the baby bottle oh no not the medium-sized bottle <laughs> um, but so, Matthew, you had a question about. Well, I'm just corn. I'm always intrigued by corn programs for people that are you know like that that are like that people that have their own moss programs and where they're sourcing the corn. Um, our friend Abby Fuller, who directed one of our favorite episodes of Chef's Table with uh, Chef Christina Martinez, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in that episode you see that they're growing corn from you know their southern mexico her southern mexico state of uh chipas mm-hmm. and they're doing it in their backyard so that they can have these things right. how did you guys arrive at your i mean you guys make your own tortillas it's a huge yeah, part yeah. of your your program yeah so um same thing with our mezcal and the same thing with corn we wanted to make sure everything is small family owned you know so there's a lot of like economic growth for you know the industries that support us so we found which actually is starting to become a fairly prominent company Masienda. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So when we started using Masienda when we opened, there weren't a ton of restaurants using them at that point. Okay. And I mean, I feel like we've helped them get the word out too. Cool. You know, and I feel like pretty much every restaurant in DC now that does their own corn, pretty much all of them use Masienda. Gotcha. So we have about, I want to say five varietals of corn at any given time. I use them for very different purposes. So. Um, and I mean, like I know purple corn tends mm-hmm. to like be a better binding, right? Like it has like a higher protein or something. Or? Yeah. Well, it depends on the varietal purple corn. So like my favorite, like actual family of corn is the bolitos. Okay. Um, right now, if you go in a restaurant, our blue and our red corn are both bolita. They have this like really pillowy, soft texture to them when you nixmalize them. Um, if you grind them fine enough, they're just literally like little pillows. So we just, uh, as of tomorrow, I think, we're switching over our tamal to be the blue corn. Okay. Which is quite nice. Is that, and that's, like, that's tortilla-wide? Um, no. So we have, let's see, our vegetable tacos on a bolita bellatova. It's a pink corn. We've got our fish tacos come on blue. Um, most of our chips use either a chalcano, blanco, or a yellow corn. Um, 
think that might be actually four that we have right now. And, and what, like, why are you choosing one, you know, one blue corn over a yellow corn versus a pink corn? So it's a texture, color, flavor. Um, so the yellow corn that we have right now, it gets particularly buttery. So I really like that for our chips. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to sound really ridiculous. Our goal at the restaurant has always been for our tortilla chips to taste like Fritos. I, listen, <laughs> no one has ever mastered how to make Fritos at home. And I, I think we have sometimes. Yeah, I've, I've come really close. Yeah. But it's like, you look at the back of a, a Fritos bag and it's three ingredients. Yeah, yeah. So Or two ingredients. Corn, no, corn oil and salt. Yeah, so Fritos and Doritos both actually maximize their corn. Yeah. So they're, they're doing it the right way. They're uh, just doing it at insanely massive scales and like... Doritos is adding in all kinds of like MSG and cool yeah. stuff. But uh, yeah, when, when we hit our tortillas <laughs> perfectly, you know, Jesus, they are Fritos. So good. <laughs> I think there's a Bon Appetit test kitchen video of them trying to recreate Doritos <laughs> well, and Fritos. Fritos, it's hard because you have the curl and that's a part of the process. That yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. We haven't gotten the curl. We definitely have the flavor. Though. I don't need. Yeah, I don't need the curl. I just want. I just want the crunch and yeah. the corniness. Whenever it happens, I eat way too many chips in the restaurant. It's bad. Um, I just speaking of Hacienda, I just bought their next mall magazine, which is I didn't even know they had one. That's great. Yeah, it's 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 eleven dollars. <laughs> you can find it on their website. Um, but it's you know it's now uh, there's corn magazines out there. Yeah, yeah. guys. So any of you are interested <laughs> in next mall or next malizing your own uh, stuff. Yeah, so uh, it's it's like a, it's a fun like way to dip your toes into just like equipment and stuff like that because yeah, if, if anybody's ever wondered why like so we charge money for our salsa, you know, I know that like over the past couple of years, more and more restaurants have started to charge for salsa. We're not actually charging for the salsa; we're charging for the chips. Yeah, you know, it's a huge process. It's a huge process. We have four full-time employees that do nothing but make tortilla chips and tortillas. It's um, crazy. When you guys first opened several years ago, there was actually a rumor that. I'm going on to the rumor mill now <laughs> that you guys were, you started making your own grinding your own corn mm-hmm. and then nobody else really in DC was doing it. And you actually forced mm-hmm. Jose Andres and his restaurants to start doing it. Are you, can you, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> no comment. So they were the first official restaurant. OMO was the first restaurant in DC to sell a Nixmalize home ground tortilla. Mm-hmm. That is true. We did it first. <laughs> <laughs> Stirring the pot over here, Eddie Kim. I have no, I mean, to. So it's, uh, I think it's cool. I think it's awesome that OML does that now. But, if, if we're the ones that cause them to do that, and then yeah, there's like, but there's, now it's a, now it's like it's table sticks. Yeah, there's no downside to yeah. everybody just nixmalizing their own corn, yeah. grinding their own corn. Yeah. yeah, now it's now it's required. Now I think people um, are aware of nixmalization. Now I think it's skill. Now I think what's happening is you're you're going to start seeing like if you really want to get nerdy, like who's doing it the right way. Well, so like I mean, yeah. pressing tortillas is it's it's laborsome. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. you just mentioned you have four people doing this process. Is, are, you, is it, are these each hand pressed? Do you guys have a, a machine for this at this point? Or? So we hand press our tlayuda. Um, tlayuda, for anybody who doesn't know, it's a giant, giant tortilla. Right. Um, it's both a dish and a tortilla. Um, so tlayudas are about eight inches round. We have a large blue press, very traditional piece of equipment to make those. The tortillas, like the, ta- the taco tortillas, we go through on a Saturday night, you know, several thousand tortillas. That's crazy. Yeah. So we're actually in the middle of trying to, we have the plan laid out. We're going to actually start making them to order in the fall. Okay. Um, so right now, the way we do it Ooh. is we, yeah, it's, yeah. We, we're going to have to rearrange our entire hotline Yeah. to make it happen. It's a game changer. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's like, I think our tortillas are really, really amazing right now. And they're like... That much more. Does it lose anything <laughs> when it sits for a bit? A little. It does. Does it lose something or does it gain? Does so you it, it gain anything? the texture is better when you make it fresh. Right after you get that nice puff on it. Yeah. So it's it's harder to get that puff if you par cook it. Um, you have to really dial in the temperature of your steel to really just like. This you know. is the the third wave of tortilla making. Oh, yeah. What? Eddie Kim says the third wave after every. No, this is, a, this is a Larry Weaver comment. <laughs> Fucking coffee people have to. Yeah. No, I'm into it. <laughs> So uh, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, uh, at Pineapple and Pearls, we we had a taco course, which is mm-hmm. your taco was good. The white molly over there. Ah, yeah, 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 killer. Uh, Scott Mons, he's he's a genius, mm-hmm. um, and he he does a, a really unique thing where he actually nixtamalizes grits, yep, uh, and then <laughs> uses that. And it's like it's kind of an interesting way about, around mm-hmm. having to get a, a giant grinder. Which yeah. do you guys have a wet miller or? So we we have a very very traditional molino. It's uh, 
if you ever go into like a, a corn shop in Oaxaca, there's always these like they're usually like bluer, kind of orangish red, yeah. you know, stone mill. Uh, got like a little two horsepower motor on it. Uh, there's a little water tank on the back and drips down. It's broken, you know, like yeah. it's it's totally cobbled together. We got it. It definitely fell off the back of a truck. This was not bought from like a you know equipment supplier. Um, we had to swap out the motor because the first day we opened, we plugged it in, just sparks everywhere. So thankfully, there is a place in DC, Armature Motor Works, something like that. I don't okay, know if you guys know about this? That's actually where I got my moped. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but they've got great motors, and they really helped us out on fly. That's so. really cool. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a process. Oh man! So the right. other process with the grinder, though, this is what a lot of people don't understand about mixing and grinding corn. How you care for your grinder is actually like. 40% of the game. Really? Yeah, your stones are your life, you know? And two of our girls are in charge of the way they, you know, maintain the stones. You know, they've got, like, all these tools to make sure that the grooves on them are sharp. They're even no spaced. Way. They're, like... Yeah, because you got to make sure that you're getting a consistent grind. How long into... Like, how far into your program did it take you before you realized this? Or, or is this out of the gate you guys kind of knew this? So we got really lucky. Our head, Tortillera... Um, this woman, Yesenia Neri Diaz, she was a walk-in hire on her second day open. And from pretty much then on, you know, she'd been making tortillas at home since she was like seven years old. Yeah. You know, she did it kind of professionally-ish with her family. And then she came up here and she was walking down the street. She saw a sign that said, Masa Mole Mezcal. I was like, oh, cool. Walk in. Can I have a job? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I will say like, I mean, living in San Francisco, there's, you can go into shops and buy Fresh masa. Yeah, I'll tell and you a secret. You can walk into a Spita and buy fresh masa. <gasps> yeah, are you? That. Really? That's a thing? Yeah, so if you give us heads up, we'll give you actually ground masa. Um, if you just pop in, usually we have spare tortillas we can sell you par-cooked. That's amazing. Interesting. Yeah, it's like a is, that a new, is that a new paradigm for a lot of restaurants? So you can go to Tail Up Goat and get extra loves, bread. Loves bread. Um, and at Ellie yeah. as well. You can go into, oh God, um, the bar up on Georgia. Um, reliable tavern and you can get some of their extra ice cubes <laughs> <laughs> what fuck you guys you nerd you can have craft ice cube you can no, have craft man. masa right? that's true that's I mean whatever <laughs> although there was a really good punch article recently about uh, ice clear ice oh please what I just, Re- regale I, me with what it says no just like is it <laughs> yes. does it actually do anything besides from look pretty I mean, appearance is important. Appearance is important. Yeah. It's part of it's part of how we taste and experience. So, speaking of taste and experience, what do you think of the tipless out there? It's intriguing. This one, this one actually was the most beguiling to me. This uh, one, I feel, of the two previous ones we had, this one is the, the more balanced one, mm-hmm. and so this is one I can drink consistently. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the first one I got like a lot of like wet cement, or yeah, like yeah. you know like rain on cement, summer rain on cement, and then espadine. Oof. <laughs> so I brought the espadine specifically because so many people think of espadine as this like common varietal and it's right. not fancy and it's not like why would you ever order espadine when there's like all these other crazy varieties. Espadine's awesome. Yeah, it's sustainable. You know, it's fast well, to it's grow. The, it's it's the only mm-hmm. like domesticated varietal, correct? Um, so the funny thing is most people think of espadine they associate it with Oaxaca. Um, it's not native to the state of Oaxaca. Um, it's actually much closer genetically to uh, Blue Weber agave. Ah, you know, if you ever yeah, look yeah. at an espadine and a Blue Weber, like, yeah, generally true. speaking, like, they look exactly the same, different shades. Right. Um, but if, if you look at, like, the you know, qualities of an espadine, they grow and they mature between five and eight years, usually. You know, I've seen some at, like, 12. Um, they tend to grow fairly large. They tend to be very sugar dense. Right, right. You know, they're a great sustainable, you know, agave. You know? They're big, they're full of sugar, and they're yeah. reproducible. So the difference between tequila, Blue Weber, and Espadina Oaxaca, Blue Weber, they tend to be, most of them are like two clones, like the genetics from two like parent agave plants. Right. Giant fields, identical genetics. In Oaxaca, because they don't have the industry that Jalisco has, there's, you know, incredible genetic diversity. So you've got this like hardy plant too, so it's not at risk of being wiped out. Well, and I, I hear Jalisco is kind of starting to tap into <laughs> Espadine as the source for tequila. Yeah, well, I, know, I know that. I know that's like I know that defi- I, that defies the very definition of tequila, but yeah, uh, I know like tequila has to have blue Weber agave, but yeah, which is kind of silly to me. Yeah, you know, like if you, if you look at the the mezcal heritage of Jalisco as a state, right. 
You know, like, tequila, don't get me wrong, there are some stellar, stellar, stellar tequilas out there. But, like, when you look at, like, brands you can find in the U.S., you know, have you ever seen Masante? You know, so Masante is this dude, uh, Pedro Jimenez out of Guadalajara. Um, he's been sourcing, you know, traditional you know, non-DO mezcals from all over the region. Oh, cool. But he has, like, a ton of ricias. Ricias are essentially mezcals from Jalisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you look at, like, the traditional production methods in Jalisco, you know, there's all kinds of, like, Filipino stills, like those crazy wood stills. Yeah. You know? And, like, varietals are nuts, and they're just using weird stuff. And you get, like, because it's not regulated, you know, you get all these, like, crazy acidic, funky... You know, we've got one of the bar. Have you ever seen La Veranosa? We've got this orange bottle with a snake on it. It smells like Parmesan. Yeah. Well, that's that's like a quality you often get. Yeah. and I've actually kind of been leaning into recently is like this kind of cheesy quality. Yeah. So that tends to come from the more of the unlicensed mezcalas because like you're seeing more methanol in there. You're seeing all these like, you know, compounds in there that are giving these flavors that just wouldn't ever pass certification. You know, but there's nothing wrong with them. They're not right. going to kill you. Right, right, right. <laughs> they haven't killed me yet. Right. It's all really interesting. I, I think I'm nerding out more than anybody yeah. in here right now. Um, going on a little bit of a tangent, yeah, yeah. my l- recent trips to to South Korea and Japan, it's impossible to find mezcals over there because of the methanol contents. Yep. And they highly regulate it. Yep. And so last time I was in South Korea, I, I was at a, the Four Seasons bar and we had shots of mezcal and it was like the shadiest mezcal yep. I've ever had. And it was the only bottle that they were able to get, the only brand. Yeah. What's up with that? <laughs> I mean, All right, so this is going mean, to yeah. <laughs> put me on a, another tangent that how you shop for mezcal, right? Um, how you avoid the garbage. Um, so most spirits that you find in liquor stores are 40% alcohol, right? I would say that from the get-go, you know, not all, all 40% mezcals are bad, but most of them are, you know? So when you're looking at, like, take, like, so Illegal is a good example of a good 40% mezcal, you know? Yeah. But I can think of a lot of, <laughs> a lot of mezcals that are 40% where you're just like, they taste on, like, watered-down well, garbage. Yeah, exactly. They, I mean, they, <laughs> that, they are watering in there because they're exactly. doing it for the American palate. Exactly. It's not even their, part of it is that, and part of it is they're trying to kind of, like, stretch their product. Gotcha. You know, if you've got something that's naturally coming off the still at 50% alcohol, 52% alcohol, and you're adjusting it with the heads and tails because you like the flavor profile at 47. Right. You know, that's a very different thing than if you're watering it down to stretch the total production size to kind of increase that. And again, you get this lower ABV, which makes it more appealing to, like, inexperienced mezcal drinkers. And And that's got to be a symptom of the demand, the explosion of demand. They have to stretch it out. Yeah. And you're starting to see some that are, like, sub 42. I've seen a number, like, 38%, which is crazy. So it's like, I would say 40%, yes, there are some good at 40%. There is no such thing as a good mezcal at 38%. I've never seen one. Prove me wrong. Somebody. I'm looking at it. But it's, all, it's also ironic because like, you look at like what happened with whiskey and like Maker's Mark. When cast, they, just, they tried to cast do the same thing. Cast strength and, and yeah. like all that stuff has become a thing, you know? And like, so it's not cask strength with mezcal. That's just how it is. And yeah. it's also like the, I, we don't buy it to speak to any aged mezcal. Um, and the whole reason behind that is, like, if, if they're doing it the right way, you're covering up a beautiful expression of something. You don't need to add wood. Because at that point, you're taking away from the agave as opposed to adding in a layer of flavor. So, like, if, if you're buying Moscow, look for a bottle that has the producer's name. Not the company's name, the family's name on the bottle. Uh, look for a production date. You know, look for, you know, techniques of production. Are they using, you know, what are they fermenting in? What are they distilling in? What are they grinding it with? Um, bonus points if you can get harvest date as well as production date. Um, that can tell you some things. Sure. Um, you know, the higher the alcohol is generally a sign of a better quality producer. So 47, 48, 52. Uh, and is there an overarching organization that that deals with <laughs> the labeling at least? And then Yeah. Uh, there's Comicam. Yeah. Um, so that so we recently rewrote the menu at Espita. And I realized how few Comic Game approved bottles we have in our collection, which is kind of intentional at this point. Um, you've heard of the, the NOM laws and, you know, the battles over regulating tequila and mezcal. Right, right, right. But uh, just for our listeners who might not be aware of these, uh, this is these are the this is the certification of 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 what can be called quality of mezcal, essentially. Right. Right? Yeah. Imported into the U.S. Yeah. And there was one 
I mean, the big battle was what last year that finally got yeah, wrapped up. Yeah, number seventy one. Um, number seventy one. But there's another one that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're not going to get into the okay. a new one that's coming up until it happens. Um, so the the last one was actually the first really good step in the NOM laws, if you ask me. They they started to stratify the classifications of mezcal. There's mezcal, which I would refer to as industrial mezcal. That's the base. Mm. That's you're allowed to use like diffusers and crazy stuff like that, which kind of the artisanal mezcal world kind of rebelled against. They're like, there shouldn't be diffusers. Let's, yeah, in can we just leave diffusers to, like to tequila, who's already like... Well, let's get diffusers out of tequila, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, Seriously. Tequila's like, dead in me because of diffusers. Yeah, almost. non-diffuser tequila is stunning. <coughs> um, then there's artisanal mezcal, which is... It has to be done in either copper or clay stills. It has to be macerated in their tahona or by hand. Tahona is basically a giant mill wheel. Um, and it has to be cooked in an earthen pit oven. You know, no steamers, no crazy other methods. Um, and then they have Ancestral, which is pretty hard to actually get. Um, but that's essentially your hand-macerated clay pot distillations. Right. So those aren't necessarily better than artisanal mezcals. Sure. Um, they're definitely pricier. Yeah, and they're um, harder, to, harder to get come by, right? Yeah. I've had some stunning ones. I've had some ones that are weird and earthy. So they can be good. They can be... I've never had a bad one. I've only had some that aren't to my preference. Sure. Well, let's cut to our, our final yeah. game here. Uh, a little <laughs> thing we call uh, Rapid Fire. Rapid Fire. All right. So this is just a series of quick-ish. I don't think it's actually ever been that quick. But no, it never does. Uh, first thing that comes, uh, comes to mind, uh, what is your favorite? You know what? Keanu Reeves movie. Keanu Reeves is he's so big again. Oh, my goodness. A man after my own heart. Cool. Uh, I, I was gonna say I like Keanu Reeves before everyone else did. That's false. I, I, I kind of fell out of love with Keanu Reeves, and then like John Wick kind of brought me back in. So yeah. I'm go with John Wick. Nice. Nice. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. To be fair, there's no, there's no bad. <laughs> <laughs> Bill and Ted. Can we go with Bill and Ted? Hey, I mean Bill and Ted Three is coming back. <laughs> I can't wait for it to come back. <laughs> personally, personally, it's it's uh, Point Break, but yeah. okay, fair. I am an FBI <laughs> agent. <laughs> As long as it's not speed. Yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> I think his best movie is probably Much Ado About Nothing. Okay. <laughs> oh, what's, your, what's your next question, Eddie? You guys are haters. Um, this is a double question. Mm-hmm. So, Josh, um, what's your worst habit? And then I'm going to ask you, what's, what's his worst habit? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> this is the joy of having a partner in the studio. Oh, God. My worst habit is probably the uh, full bottle of wine shift drink. We're, we're all looking expectantly towards Kelly here. He has a habit of like leaving cabinet doors open, which just drives me crazy. I do that as well. I, She's being very nice. And you subsequently <laughs> slam your head into it. But usually while drunk on a bottle of wine. Yeah. Um, what is your, uh, I mean, you've been in this business for a while now. Mm-hmm. What's, your, what's your worst cut in graphic detail? Worst cut? Yeah. Um, so I was slicing spinach or chopping spinach. And I was really stupid in the way I was holding my left hand. And instead of like claw gripping the spinach, I kind of had a finger forward. I looked to the left and pulled the knife left and sliced off the end of my finger. Classic fingertip. Yeah, I've got pictures. I hit the bone. The ER doctor was very complimentary. He was like, you have very sharp knives, don't you, sir? Ugh. Yes, I do. And here's the thing, though. You're still (laughs) 6'7 at the end of the day. Yep. It's a shorter (laughs) finger. (laughs) All right, one last question. Oh, geez. Um, okay, how about if you... This might be an obvious answer, though. Uh, if you were to open up a restaurant that served one dish, one beverage, and played one type of music, band, musician, what have you, Ooh. what would it be? Um, okay, so... Dream restaurant besides Espita is probably to open an English pub with my brother-in-law. Um, so I'm going to go with fish and chips. I'm going to go with a nice ale and a pint of bitter. <laughs> music. I don't even know about music. How would I, what would we do for music in that? I don't know. Oh, I mean, just throw people for a loop and play something really random that's okay. not English. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say like jazz, but like American jazz, old school. <laughs> right on. Okay. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, well, Josh, thank you so much yeah, thank for, you. for taking yeah, time thank and you for, for opening your in. cabinet up to us. This yeah. has been really fun. Thanks for having me. Um, listeners, uh, also, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate your support. Um, 
I could not do this without you. Although we, we might still, who knows? Um, don't forget to throw us a review on iTunes or give us a one star on Yelp. Um, please, everyone, please give us a one star on Yelp. Let us be the worst so you don't have to be. That's the, that's the whole point of it. We're going for a world record here. Um, a special thank you to Jeffrey Lamoureux for our intro music and DJ Rec Tech for our hilarious sound effects, some of which you heard today, but not all of them. Um, yep. Also, you guys, uh, so tomorrow you guys are yep. participating with this uh, Tables Without a Border uh, with Chef Maria del Carmen from El Salvador. It's going to be at the Lion Hotel. We had Espita. Espita. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, they're doing one tonight here. Oh, uh, okay. Products. I'm Okay. It's a five uh, dinner series across the city. And there's tickets available, or it's um, it's a regular reservation on Open Table or through our website. Um, she's doing four dishes and a couple of sides in awesome. addition to most of our regular menu. Um, goes to a good co- good cause, supporting refugee chefs. Right on. I'm pretty excited about that. So, listeners, check it out. Also, you guys do a cool thing called Mezcal Monday. Yeah, so every every Mezcal bar has to have Mezcal Monday because alliteration is amazing. <laughs> uh, we do every Monday. Our entire neat Mezcal list in flights is half off. So it's a good time to get either like a $4 house espadine or a $30 iguana pechuga, you know? Fuck yeah. Or just go there on any other night and bother Josh. Yep. <laughs> um, he's a tall guy. He's <laughs> just <laughs> drinking Mezcal. Usually. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, come back next week, listeners. We'll have another great show. What you got? What would what, what I have? Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, guys. Until Thanks. next time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>